You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. Um, My name is Mitch Jones, and I'm blessed to serve as one of our community pastors here. And I want to say Happy New Year. Well, I guess almost Happy New Year. We still have one more day. But I don't know about many of you guys, but as the year begins to come to a close, the idea of New Year's resolutions begins to come to mind, right? And fun fact, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. I'm like, hey, if I'm going, if I want to make a change, if I want to do something different in my life, why not just start today? Why wait for the New Year? And yet, and yet, every year, as the New Year comes to a close, I can't help but begin to look back and reflect on my last year. And then, as a result of the the whole reflection thing, I basically end up making New Year's resolutions anyway. But some of the things I begin to think about are, okay, have I lived healthier this year, right? Like most of us, I could use to lose a couple pounds. Um, And so how am I doing in that? Um, Another thing I tend to think about is, how am I doing as a friend? Am I caring for my friends well? Am I reaching out and praying with them? Or am I just kind of of letting things stay all surface levelly and not really going deeper with them? How am I doing as a family member? Am I loving my family well? Am I caring for them? Or am I being kind of selfish and just letting them care for me? And then the biggest question, or at least it should be, although it often isn't, is how am I doing as a disciple of Jesus? How is my relationship with God and Jesus going? How is this playing out? Because to be honest, for me, this last year has been a lot of this, where it's been, I've had a couple months of like really good, like I'm on fire, I'm digging in the word, it's, it's alive and I'm just on fire. And then I would have a couple months where it's like, eh, it's kind of stale and I don't really know what's going on here, and I don't really make it a priority, even though out of everything it really should be, um, then I would have a couple good months again, because something would, would happen, and it would re-inspire me, and I would get after it, and then it would go back down again. And so this year, as I've been reflecting about, okay, how am I doing as a disciple of Jesus, I began to wonder, okay, how can I do this better? Because it's worth it. Jesus is the king that we've been anticipating for the last four weeks through Advent, right? He is the only king who can bring true healing hope and light into this dark, this broken and ailing world, right? And he's the Messiah. He's the son of God, like the God who made everything, He came down and wanted to have a relationship with me, and I'm putting it on the back burner. I mean, this should be easy for me to be, to make a priority. I'm a single dude, and my job is built around making God a priority, and it's still hard for me to keep God a priority. And so, I was, again, as I was reflecting this year and thinking about, okay, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? I began to investigate. Okay, maybe there's something that I've been missing, something that I haven't been focusing on that might help me out with this. And then I ended up coming around to this idea that Jesus was a rabbi. If you didn't know that, 
Jesus was a rabbi, meaning he chose to spend his three years of of full-time ministry as a teacher who took on disciples. Okay, here, he was a rabbi who took on disciples. Okay, maybe I'm getting at the heart of this now. But there's some questions, right? We talk about discipleship. We talk about being a disciple all the time. But what does that even mean? And what does it mean to be a disciple of a rabbi? And why in the world did Jesus choose to be a rabbi? He could have done anything with those three years, but he chose to live as a rabbi. But why? And what does that, does it change anything? (laughs) Is it just one of those like, oh, this is going to be a cool factoid about Jesus? Or is this actually going to change the way that I choose to pursue and follow Jesus? Well, that's what I, those three questions are what I want to spend our time on today. What is a rabbi? Why was Jesus a rabbi? And what does that mean for us? So first things first, what is a rabbi? Well, a rabbi back in in Jesus's day were the cream of the crop when it came to knowing the Jewish scriptures. They knew it better than anyone. In fact, they would memorize essentially everything that's in the Old Testament, which in my Bible is just this small little chunk of text right here. They would have this so memorized that if I just opened this up and picked a random verse and started reading, they could pick up where I leave off and they could finish it. This is how well they knew the text. And believe it or not, these people were looked up to as these Bible nerds were looked up to as the people that everyone wanted to grow up to be. Like, imagine you as a little kid and you're like, yeah, I want to be just like, a, like a fo- that football player when I grow up. Or, oh yeah, I just want to be like my, my favorite teacher, like Mr. Sullivan or something. Like, or being an, or growing up and being an astronaut, these are the kind, this is how the Jewish people looked up to rabbis. But why? Right? Why did they care so much about these rabbis? Why did they look so highly up to these rabbis? Well, up to this point in history, Israel has been through a lot. After coming out of the desert, they were met with constant war. And after that, once they finally established a nation, they had some kings who we've examined over the last uh, several, couple months now, um, who were good, a couple of them, but most of them were mediocre to horrible. And and they had been kicked out of the land, the land that they called home. They had been kicked out, their land wiped out underneath them, and they were being forced to live in these other countries. Eventually, they would get to go back try to build up again, just to get kicked out again. Israel had been through the ringer. They'd experienced so much death and war. And and what they tied this back to was that they didn't follow the law. They didn't follow God's word. See, after God gave them the law, he said, before you I lay life and death. Choose life. Follow my law and experience what life with me as your God and you as my people can be, and you will be blessed immensely. But if you don't, you will experience death. In Israel, they didn't quite follow the law. 
And so they experienced death. And now this may feel like a bit of a rabbit trail, but we're getting back to it. Um, And so Israel, back in their homeland, is trying to figure out, okay, we don't want this to happen again. We don't want to go through another exile. We're done with these wars. We're tired of it. We need to do better. We need to follow the law. And this is where rabbis came in. Because in order to follow the law, you kind of got to know it. And so what rabbis did is they knew the law better than anybody else. They would be the people that you would come to for answers on how, okay, what does this mean? How am I supposed to understand this? Or they would fill in the gaps for some scriptures that maybe you didn't have. Scrolls were expensive. You didn't have the whole Bible. And so you would rely on these traveling teachers to fill in the gaps for you. And so if they're going to be able to prevent another disaster happening to their country, they're dependent on these rabbis. So much so that every little kid wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. In fact, at age five, uh, every little Jewish boy and girl would attempt to memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. A five-year-old is trying to memorize the first five books of the Bible so that when they turn 10, they can try to memorize the rest of it. And if they can somehow pull both of those off, they would have the opportunity to get to follow a rabbi, to learn and be a disciple under a rabbi. And see, for a disciple of a rabbi, the goal was actually twofold. It was to learn what the rabbi knew so that you could become just like the rabbi. The goal wasn't just to know the Bible really well. The rabbis were the living representation of what it meant to follow God's word, to be in good relationship with him. And so these disciples would want to follow a rabbi to become just like them. Like to the point that they even have a blessing that the rabbi will say after a successful bathroom movement, they would actually say a blessing and the, and the disciples would follow them around so that they would know what the, these little blessings are. Like these, this is how well they would want to know their rabbi and become just like the rabbi. And I think we might be beginning to get at why Jesus came as a rabbi. But first, so what would this kind of look like for us today? Now, we don't have a bunch of rabbis running around here in in the church for you to like mentor under and follow, although mentors are a great example of them, of this type of relationship. So I want everyone to take a moment here and think about someone you look up to as just really incredible followers of Jesus. For me, someone that jumps to my mind is Dr. John Weatherly. He was one of my professors back in college, and he was a very intelligent and deep thinker who really knew the text, and he packaged it all with a lot of snark and sarcasm, and it was just delightful. Um, (laughs) um, and I looked up to him a lot because he was super intentional with his students. I mean, let's, let's take a look at this guy. Does this not look like a 
does this not look like a deep theological thinker and passionate follower of Jesus? That's one if I ever saw one. Um, but I looked up to him a lot because his, he had a deep hunger for the text. He wanted to know God's word well. He, his morning routine looked like he would wake up and he would read the Bible in English like the rest of us and he would just sit and, and cruise through it and try to reflect on what God was talking to him. Then he would go back and read it in Greek so that he could slow, so that he was forced to slow down, to meditate on each word that God was trying to speak to him so he could really understand and let it flow through him. And he was super intentional with us as students. He always would go out of his way to ask us good questions. He would eat meals with us at our horrible cafeteria, but he would go there anyway because he wanted to spend time with us, asking us good questions. If many of you guys, if any of you guys have had a couple one-on-one conversations with me, you know I ask a lot of questions. And that's something I learned from John because he knew that it's more important to help guide somebody through what they're thinking than just throwing advice in their face and saying, take it. And so that's something I learned from him. And like I said, he was super hospitable. He was a servant. You can see he would invite us often over to his house. You can see this is back when I had hair until genetics began to catch up with me. Um, and you can, you can barely see it, but here at the bottom is actually where John was sitting. And I was sitting next to John because, and his plate is actually still full of food. All the rest of us are basically done. He is so focused on serving us and making sure that everybody has what they need that he's barely gotten to eat yet. But I sat next to him because I wanted to see how he did things. I wanted to learn from him. And that is exactly like what disciples did with their rabbis. Like I said, the goal is to become like your rabbi. So, back to Jesus. Why was Jesus a rabbi? Well, let's think about this. Jesus was the ultimate expression of what God meant us to be. Jesus is the one human who didn't have our brokenness and sin. Jesus was the one human who responded to every situation with compassion and love and service. He emptied himself of his godhoodness so that he could live as a servant and be an example for each one of us. And this is exactly what ties it into being a rabbi. See, Jesus chose to be a rabbi because he wanted to show us not, he didn't want to just teach us things. He wanted to show us how to live and how to be what we were made to be. He was a rabbi because he wanted to show us what we were meant to be to follow his example, to make more people that look like Jesus. So if we're going to become like our rabbi, we need to look not at what Jesus says, but also we need to look at how Jesus lives, what he does. And I think going all the way back, this is the key to being a disciple. Yes, 
there's all of the different little actions and being a disciple who makes disciples, but you also need to be a disciple of Jesus, to try and become like Jesus. And if that sounds scary, and if that sounds intimidating, and if that sounds vague, yes, it's a lifelong journey. But it's a really important one. And it's one that Jesus wasn't afraid to unapologetically ask his followers to do. So now that we know what a rabbi was and, and why Jesus was a rabbi, I want to just go through a few stories from Jesus's life and look at and practice looking at Jesus's life and learning to live like he lived. So we're going to start in Matthew 8, uh, starting in verse 18. Jesus is going around and he's preaching to the crowds and he's building up popularity as a rabbi. People are seeing him and there's like, okay, I want to become like this guy. I want to learn from Jesus. And so a couple people come and ask to be one of, be his disciples. Verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law, so someone learned, someone who had gone through the process of memorizing all the stuff I was talking about earlier, came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, remember, a disciple means trying to become just like your rabbi. And so when these people come and ask to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand the commitment that you are about to make? I, the son of God, am reliant on other people's hospitality to have a place to sleep at night. I live differently. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to live differently too. And then this other disciple is, let me go bury my father, which isn't just, hey, I need to literally stick my dad in the ground. This is, hey, I need to go settle my dad's estate. I need to deal with all the inheritance stuff first, and then I, I will follow you. And Jesus is like, no, my priorities are different We're not worried about worldly wealth and success here. We have a kingdom to grow. That stuff can wait. Let the other people take care of that. You follow me. Jesus had a very different set of priorities. And he was unapologetic in asking for them. And again, is that a little intimidating? Yes. Is that a little scary? Yes. But Jesus is the son of God. And he's the one who brings us back into relationship with the creator of everything. Is it not worth the effort? And one of the priorities that Jesus had was that Jesus, and again, this is also tied into him being a rabbi, Jesus knew the text and he knew it ridiculously well. In fact, no, I want to read the story first. Uh, so I'm going to look at, let's look at Matthew 22, and we're going to see how Jesus lives and breathes the text. So starting in verse 23, that same day, the Sadducees, a group of educated Jews, 
who say that there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened with the second and the third, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be in, in, in heaven? Which wife will she be of the seven, not heaven, um, since all of them were married to her? Now, there's a lot going on here, right? But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on, let's see how Jesus is living. How, what, how does Jesus respond to the situation? So, in verse 32, uh, sorry, in verse 29, you are in error, Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Again, a lot to unpack there. But let's focus more on what's going on. These educated people come up to Jesus with a question, which is actually something that would normally happen to rabbis. Like I said, these rabbis were the experts of the law. They were the one that you came to for answers about these things. And Jesus replies with, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know what it says? Like, I'm ch- like these educated people who probably could outduel us all when it came to knowing the Old Testament. Jesus is replying with, don't, haven't you read this? Have you not seen the power of God? Don't you think he thought about this when he gave that law to Moses? Do you not think that God had the foresight for that? Like, haven't you read this? He quotes back scripture to him. In fact, Jesus quotes scripture about a hundred, the exact number's debated, but it's about a hundred times throughout the gospels. And he references scriptures or he points to it somewhere in the ballpark of 250 to 350 times. He lived and breathed the text. And I, th- and I think that there's something really cool to find here. Because Jesus chose to, do, to quote the text instead of saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, I know how things work, this is how it goes. Because he could have done that. He's the son of God. He could just say, oh yeah, this is what God meant when he's, when this is what God means. This is what, this is how it will work. Don't worry about it. But instead he chooses to quote the text. He chooses to look back to scripture. And I think that's because as a rabbi, he wanted to show his disciples how we needed to live. Jesus knew that we're not the Messiah. We're going to have, we're going to have situations just like this, where people come to us with challenging questions or with weird perspectives on things or with things that that are going to challenge our worldview. And Jesus wanted to say, hey, in those situations, you need to look back to the truth. You need to depend on scripture for your answers. Because he knew that we'd be relying on his words, on his scriptures. And so Jesus, as a rabbi, is using this as a teaching opportunity for his disciples, which Spoiler alert, we are extensions of his disciples. And so this lesson is for us. 
When we're confronted with these things, we need to turn to scripture. We need to know the text. And this is, this is becoming a theme, hint, hint. If that seems intimidating or scary, it is. But I've got a question for you. How many songs do you know the lyrics to? How many movies, plot lines, could you say verbatim? How many movie quotes do you know? I think you'd be shocked at how much of this that you can absorb and remember. Because for the Jewish people, this was their version of all those things. Instead of knowing the plot to the latest Marvel movie, they knew the story of Father Abraham. They knew the stories of King David. Instead of fun movie quotes like, No, I am your father. They had quotes like, You are that man, as Samuel confronts David. Instead of the lyrics to songs, they had the Psalms. Like, you would be shocked at how much of this you can know and absorb if you gave this the kind of priority that you do to the ways to the entertainment that is offered to us. And I know I'm preaching to myself here. I probably know more movie quotes than I do know every little niche and cranny of this. And so this is something I got to work on big time. And I think that this is a lesson that we can learn from our rabbi this year. One last story I want to talk about is how Jesus responded to these situ- to re- situations. What Jesus's rhythm of life looked like. Because, once again, it's pretty different than all of ours. So, the story begins with, and we're going to be in John... No, we're going to be in Matthew 14. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 14, 6. And what's going on here is... John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the guy who baptized him, has been arrested by Herod. And Herod is throwing a big party. And at this party, there's a performer that does such an incredible job that he's like, I will give you whatever you want, just name it, it's yours. And she's like, I want the head of John the Baptist to present to my mother as a birthday present. Okay. Well, Herod feels forced into this, and so he does chops off the head of John the Baptist, kills him dead, and presents his head on a platter. And then, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 12. So John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, when he heard that his cousin, the guy who baptized him, died, he withdrew to a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns, which is way easier than you'd think. The Sea of Galilee, not that big. Um, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus, stricken by grief, we know Jesus weeps at the the death of his loved ones. We hear about that with, with, with Lazarus. Stricken by grief, he goes to spend some time alone with his father in prayer. But, like so often happens with all of us, he gets interrupted. And he actually gets interrupted by a good thing. He sees this crowd and he has compassion on them. He heals their sick and he actually feeds the five. This is, depends on your readings. This is either the time or one of the time that Jesus feeds the 5,000. But, unlike us, unlike us who at this point would probably be like, all right, well, I guess I'm just not going to, 
have time for this. Okay, I guess I'll just have to move on and pull myself up by my bootstraps and go do something else. Jesus comes back to it. Verse 22. Immediately, right after all this happens, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Jesus comes back to it. He knew he needed time with his father. He knew he needed to spend time in prayer. And so he wasn't going to just push that off with the immediate needs of what's going on around him. He is going to make time for this. He's going to send his disciples across the sea. He's going to tell the crowds to go away so that he can have time alone with his father to pray. And this isn't something that Jesus just does in this circumstance. This is something he does regularly. regularly. Luke 5.15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then in Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up early. Jesus got up and left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus had a rhythm of making room for his personal time with God. In fact, Jesus's life Jesus' rhythm of life was built on his relationship with God. He would go do ministry, and then he would spend time with God. He would go perform miracles, and then he would go alone on a mountain to pray. He would go heal, and then he would go spend time with the Father. He relied on the Father for his strength. He relied on his Father for guidance. And as our rabbi, the lesson that we should take is that we need to, too. Right? If we're going to live like Jesus lived, we need to have different priorities. It's a, big, it's a big ask, but it's the most important ask you will ever have. We need to know the text. If we're going to know how our rabbi lived, we probably should read about it. And we can rely on it when difficult things come our way, whether it's challenges or circumstances in life. We can rely on the text for truth and life in those situations. And we need to make our time with God a priority. Our rhythm of life needs to be built on our relationship with God. And so, I will say, there is one thing that Jesus did very differently than other rabbis. Other rabbis, you would apply to follow them. And they would only take the best of the best. But Jesus did something very different. He chose the dropouts, and he chose them, and he chooses all of us, which is wild. Jesus wants all of us to be able to look like him, to be what we were made to be. And so, he said, whoever follows me, I want to give you a sign to remember this. And that sign is in communion. And so, On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, 
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our rabbi together. And then, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are incredible. The fact that you chose to come down in flesh, to live as an example of what it meant to be human, to live up to being in relationship with you, to how to be guided by your Holy Spirit and how to rely on you for strength. God, you give us an incredible gift by choosing to let us follow you and try to become just like you. So God, I pray that all of us, as this new year comes, that what we resolve to do, what we choose to do better, is to try and look a little bit more like our rabbi this year. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.